a roundup of the main business news from China and elsewhere. This is Global Business. From CGTN headquarters here in Beijing, this is Global Business. I'm Michael Wong. Chinese Premier Li Qiang is in Switzerland, where he's calling for both sides to boost free trade and bolster cooperation in areas such as green development and the digital economy. With the theme of rebuilding trust, we are on the ground at the World Economic Forum's annual meeting in Davos. And Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi is visiting several countries in Africa, one of which is Tunisia, to mark the 60th anniversary of diplomatic ties between the two countries. Well, Chinese Premier Li Qiang says China is willing to step up cooperation with Switzerland that will benefit both sides. Li made the remarks when he was speaking with Viola Amert, president of the Swiss Confederation. Swiss Federal Councillor Guy Pamelon also attended the event. Li said China is ready to work with Switzerland to implement the important consensus previously reached by the two heads of state. He called for both sides to explore more common interests, ramp up cooperation in free trade in other areas such as green development, finance and the digital economy. Amherd and Parmelon hailed a long history of bilateral relationship, noting that business ties have steadily strengthened despite the pandemic. They said Switzerland stands ready to continue promoting quality dialogue with China and deepen cooperation. The two sides announced they've agreed to support the launch of early negotiations for an upgrade in the bilateral free trade agreement. China will also grant visa-free treatment to Switzerland and the Swiss side provide more visa facilitation for Chinese visitors. Well, the 54th annual meeting of the World Economic Forum is underway in Davos, Switzerland. Under the theme of rebuilding trust, the week-long meeting aims to restore collective agency, reinforce transparency, and construct dialogue between global leaders from government, business, and academia. Our coverage of this year's Davos will explore how economies can reconstruct trust amid all these challenges. Now, as global leaders gather in Davos to discuss how economies and societies can rebuild trust, Economists are warning that geoeconomic fragmentation will accelerate, leading to a widening gap between rich and poor economies. Our Evangelo Sipsis has more from Davos. Geopolitical uncertainty and tight financial conditions. That's what global chief economists warn will slow down economic growth. While this year's theme here at the World Economic Forum is artificial intelligence, with many wanting to know how much of an impact it will have, leading economists say it would only widen the inequality gap. Conducted each year ahead of the World Economic Forum in Davos, the survey of 60 plus chief economists drawn globally from private and public sectors attempt to sketch priorities for policymakers and business leaders. This year's outlook isn't as promising, with 56% of those surveyed answering that the global economic conditions will weaken this year. They see a significant weakening in Europe and some even expect it to be very weak. While they expect the same for North America and the Middle East, in South Asia, East Asia and the Pacific, things look positive, with many of those shaping the world's economy hoping to see a continuation of growth in China. I'm expecting that him to talk about how China will continue to grow, continue to steer the economic growth in the world. 
And as China is one of the global leaders when it comes to artificial intelligence, many believe it will boost productivity in high-income economies over the next five years, but also in low-income economies at a slower rate. Although here at the World Economic Forum, they will be launching a new approach to growth and help policymakers balance it when it comes to the environment, technologies, and other priorities, its managing director says an economic growth for the year ahead will be tested. Evangelo Sipsas for CGTN from Davos. All right, let's get on the ground now to Davos, where my colleague Guanxin joins us bright and early for an update. Uh, good morning over there to you in Davos, Guanxin. One of the big events for today, Guanxin, of course, Chinese Premier Li Qiang will deliver a special address at the annual meeting in just over an hour's time. Yes. Tell us more about the expectations of Premier Li's speech. That's right, Michael. I'm now standing in the Congress Center uh, of the Davos Annual Meeting, and you can see the Congress Hall uh, down there, and that is where Premier Li Qiang is going to take stage and make the most important speech of the day. We can see delegates have, our, have started to arrive. They have started to gather outside the entrance. Of course, the speech is closely monitored by all the participants here, and as well as media from around the world. And you know, the forum gathered 3,000 leaders, including including 60 heads of states, and Premier Li Chan is the first to take stage and to make uh, deliver a speech. And he will be followed by Ursula von der Leyen, the president of European Commission, and other uh, leaders. And that really demonstrates the importance the web placed on China's presence at this event. Of course, a key priority uh, focus will be on Chinese economy, despite the post-pandemic recovery might not be as strongly as expected, but China remains the single biggest contributor and engine of global growth. And for numerous CEOs presenting at this event, China remains a market, an opportunity they cannot afford to miss. And talk to many delegates, and they have said uh, that the Chinese economy has a vast potential. It has abundant resources, very complete supply chains, a well-educated uh, workforce, uh, and many, many others. And they want to gain more clarity about investing in China and the regulatory landscape and economic policies. And, uh, you know, there's a certain degree of caution, of course, due to uh, those geopolitical developments. We heard a lot of supply chain dynamics. And there are debates about whether they should give more emphasis on uh, security instead of efficiency regarding that issue. And yesterday, I talked to uh, Vivian Zhang, uh, who is the chair of the Deloitte China. And she told me that uh, economic prosperity uh, provides the greatest assurance to security, and I think uh, she made a great point. Let's take a listen. We have topics such as in the uh, AI-enabled tech world, how responsible AI could actually support the growth of the business and all of the economies, and also topics like uh, in the sustainable world, how uh, people can benefit in the green uh, economy, and how we create really a, a inclusive growth uh, with job creations and social equalities altogether, and also a lot of the issues related to regulations and transparencies. How does Deloitte perceive China's economic growth prospects and where do you identify the most significant opportunities for the company? When we look for 2024, we believe it still will be uh, at the foundation of the high quality growth. We're looking at around 4.5 to 5.3 percentage in terms of GDP growth. What we are excited most about is really the growth 
that we are anticipating in the consumption market. We believe there is a huge space that China continue can grow because if you look at the 2022, if you look at the consumption sector in the uh, areas of GDP is about 53%, which is really at the relatively low end compared to a lot of developed market. Mm -hmm. And you're looking at the population of China, although there is a, a aging population, but there is aged economy, yes. and there is green economy, uh, there is a younger economy, there's a lot of a digital economy, there's a lot of opportunities for uh, people to really experience uh, many of the demands uh, of their daily lives. So I think the consumption will be the big theme for 2024. And I think what we are looking for is a more stabilized anticipation of that growth when people are, uh, are having more confidence to spend and to continue to improve their quality of life. So relatively speaking, we're pretty positive that 2024 will be a good year. Premier Li Chang is scheduled to speak. What specific issues do you particularly pay attention to? Really what I'm looking for in Premier Li's speech is, you know, the confidence level that he will provide to the world about China still is providing a lot of growth drivers for the whole economy uh, globally, mm -hmm. not about China but really about a lot of the investors uh, coming to participate in the, in the growth of the China economy and also for many Chinese companies when they are globalizing in the world. So hopefully that will give a lot of the policy assurance, maybe new policies and more open up and I'm pretty sure this will happen. Meanwhile, CGTN's Tian Wei spoke with Borga Brendet, the president of the World Economic Forum, for more on the three questions he has regarding China's economic strategy, which he intends to ask Premier Li Qiang. Take a listen. I think I would uh, ask the Premier, what is uh, China's role in uh, shaping a more collaboration uh, globally? Second, China has been growing at an incredible level um, for decades. How does the Premier see uh, Chinese uh, growth uh, in the years to come? How much will it pivot from an export-led growth to also a growth including more domestic increased demand, mm -hmm. the home market? but also towards uh, more export of uh, services mm -hmm. and digital uh, trade. I think the third one would be uh, the role of um, the cooperation between G2, China and uh, US. Is it gonna be only fierce competition? Or what are the areas where we can also see cooperation? Mm. As we know, because of the size of China, the path forward for China means not only a lot to the Chinese population, but it also has a global impact. And it is uh, now definitely a situation we are now seeing a new world order. In that, I think uh, China will have a critical role in shaping this new world order based on multilateralism, based on cooperation, but also because of uh, China's sway uh, with the global south, but also a lot of emerging economies uh, do uh, also um, get a lot of inspiration from Beijing. And also at Davos, we spoke to Robert Moritz, the global chairman of PwC, to get his insights on the outlook for China's economy. So China is on track to uh, meet its economic growth goal of 5% in 2023. What is your outlook of China's economy in 2024? It's clear that 
when we look and ask the CEO community more broadly that there's globally an increased degree of optimism from where we are compared to last year. And if you look at China, that continues to be the case as well, which is good. When you look at the confidence to be able to increase the GDP, you have close to 60% of the CEOs believing that'll be the case, which is another indicative sign of positive momentum in China itself. So the economy overall has got an upside potential but yet there's concerns as to whether organizations can do it themselves, which means that the CEOs and the C-suites will have to do more to gain market share and to raise prices and to increase margins across the board in China specifically. But the world is expecting that expectation as well, that there's a stabilization of the economy in 2024 that'll also create opportunities, opportunities in China, but also opportunities for China economic implications around the world also. Do you expect the Davos this year can um, promote some confidence in the world economic outlook, in, in particular regarding China? We know China has a big delegation here. How do you expect from the messages that China delivered to the world? Yeah, it's clear that one of the concerns from an economic perspective is degree of certainty. CEOs, governments, citizens around the world want more certainty mm -hmm. so they can make decisions and plan accordingly. And in the case of the corporates, they clearly are thinking about that certainty because we see a concern about the need for reinvention of themselves. So much change is coming around them. Mm -hmm. There's issues of less certainty will create a paralyzing effect and therefore they'll slow down investment and capital improvement projects and other aspects like that. So one of the things that I think is gonna be very important is for the Chinese delegates here in Davos to continue President Xi's conversations, for example, at the COP meeting, and continue to uh, bring a degree of stability mm -hmm. and resiliency to the Chinese economy locally, but also how he will continue and the administration will continue to open up for global economic opportunities within China and for China around the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. You're very familiar with China and its economic roadmap. In your opinion, how can the country further recharge its growth momentum? What are the priorities? Yeah, there's two or three things that are very important as was said by many in the administration in China. First is the stabilization of the property sector more broadly. That's very important when you look at the enormous impact it had over the last couple of years. The second is to make sure that the consumption of the company, uh, the country is still at a reasonable level. When you look at the rise of the middle class broadly across the country and when you look at its expenditures, that gives corporates a degree of optimism that there's consumer opportunity for them. And third is the continued revitalization and upswing relevant to the central and western part of China that's going to be equally as important since so much of the last 20 and 30 years has been focused on the eastern part of China as an opportunity. So those three things will be very important. Clearly monetary policy and fiscal policy, the stabilization of that will be needed to fuel um, that opportunity in those three key areas. So the whole world's looking for that kind of focus going ahead and again that's something that can I think be communicated here in Davos. Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi is in Tunisia for a three-day official visit that will also mark the 60th anniversary of diplomatic relations between the two countries. Tunisia is the second stop in Wang Yi's Africa tour that is in line with a well-kept tradition 
of Chinese foreign ministers starting every new year by visiting the continent. On Monday, Tunisian President Kais Saeed and Wang Yi inaugurated the Tunisia International Diplomatic Academy that was funded and built by China. Our Adnan Chouaoji has more from Tunis. The ties between Africa and China have been growing every year. And once again, the continent was the first stop for a Chinese foreign minister at the start of the year. After visiting Egypt, Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi arrived in Tunisia for the second leg of his tour. He joined his Tunisian counterpart, Nabil Ammar, in inaugurating the Tunisia International Diplomatic Academy in Tunis. The Tunisian Foreign Minister says the academy is the result of the deep friendship between Tunisia and China and a concrete outcome of the Belt and Road Initiative. Tunisia appreciates China's selfless help and support. Tunisia will run the academy well, creating an important platform for exchanging experiences and enhancing understanding and serving as a bridge connecting the two countries and the world, making contributions to the development and progress of human society. The Chinese foreign minister says that over the past 60 years, relations between China and Tunisia have developed healthily and steadily. China and Tunisia are dear and faithful friends and partners. During the first China-Arab summit at the end of 2022, a fruitful meeting was held between His Excellency, the Tunisian President Kais Saeed, and President Xi Jinping. A few days ago, President Xi Jinping and President Saeed exchanged letters of congratulation to celebrate together the 60th anniversary of the establishment of Chinese-Tunisian diplomatic ties. Wang Yi underlined the exceptional level of cooperation that binds the two countries. We are keen with the Tunisian side to execute well the important compatibility between the two presidents and to strengthen the mutual political confidence and to deepen the mutual cooperation and to reinforce the approachment between the two peoples to achieve a more shining future in bilateral ties. China's top diplomat added that through joint efforts, the Diplomatic Academy in Tunis has become the only one of its type built by China in Arab countries, showcasing the high level and quality of China-Tunisia relations. The China-funded International Diplomatic Academy will facilitate the training of Tunisian diplomats with international standards. The project will also offer training opportunities for Arab and African diplomats within the framework of the Belt and Road Initiative. Adnan Shawashi, CGTN, Tunis. Now, China's economic cooperation with Africa continued to strengthen last year. Trade between the two sides maintained growth of 1.5% in U.S. dollar terms. That's despite weakening demand globally. China's outbound investment in infrastructure construction in Africa also increased steadily in the first half of last year, while the full-year data has yet to be released. But for more on relations between China and Africa, I want to bring in Chu Qiang, a research fellow at Beijing Foreign Studies University. Chu Qiang, thanks for joining us. So we were just reporting that for 34 straight years, Chinese foreign ministers have chosen Africa as their first overseas destination of the year. What does this consistent diplomatic focus say about the nature of China-Africa relations? This is just more than 34 years of uh, tradition. Uh, it goes beyond absolutely more than that, uh, if you know more about the details. Uh, in uh, 1963, actually, uh, uh, Premier Zhou Enlai of China used to put forward in December of that year 
Zhou Enlai, uh, the Premier of China, used to put forward the, the five principles of China relations with Africa. And in 2024, in January, I think uh, the Councillor Wang Yi went to Egypt, uh, went to Tunisia and the countries like in Africa again, is actually just uh, 30 years, uh, 60 years after that. In Chinese culture, 60 years is a round trip of history. We call it one job year. So it shows a new chapter, a new era of China and Africa religion has begun. And also, I would like to mention another thing is that this is also to 2024 is another 60-year anniversary of China and Tunisia's foreign relationship from the formally built. So I think this is a very important milestone marking China and African relations. So I think the nature between uh, these uh, two places are, you know, supportive, uh, reciprocal, mutual respect to each other. Uh, so if you take a look at the track record of China and African countries, I still remember when Chinese people come, you know, back in the 1950s and 1960s, we try to build rather than just to take away. We try to foster, you know, friendship, stabilities and peace, rust rather than meddling with their domestic politics, or rather than sterling about the chaotic situation in those countries. So whenever the Chinese, uh, you know, friends come to Africa, you always see good things are happening. And this is the nature of China and Africa relation. And also, when I was, you know, doing the China and African foreign relations, I still remembered my African and Chinese friends are always telling me, always remember that this is one Africa for sure, but only the Chinese people remember. There also are more than 50 countries, 50 different cultures and economy in these places. They speak different languages. For example, uh, uh, Councillor Wang Yi went to Egypt, went to Tunisia, went to Togo and Cote d'Ivoire. They speak different language. They believe they be, uh, believe different faces, and also they have different uh, natural endowment and economy characteristic. So they want we want to know more about them distinguishedly. We want to provide more help and carry out with respective cooperation with them. It shows this is the true, you know, a friendship and the true respect. Yeah, and speaking of cooperation, uh, Chu Chiang, at the China-Africa Leaders Dialogue last year, Chinese President Xi Jinping made three proposals. So those are namely to support Africa's industrialization, uh, agricultural modernization, and talent development. I want to focus on the industrialization part because we know Africa has tremendous economic potential. How is China working with African partners to support the continent's industrialization efforts? Well, I think I'm very, very lucky because I'm following this track, uh, you know, in the past 15 years, and I'm a part of this China and Africa cooperation framework myself. You know, uh, for the 15 years as a witness this cooperation, I think what China has been doing for industrialized Africa is in a multiple angles. For example, number one, I think is uh, most viewable and obvious uh, achievement we can see is infrastructures. Uh, you know, we used to have Tanzana before uh, that created a lot of the you know, miracles in the transportation history in Africa. But now we have Mombasa to Nairobi, you know, railway. And also we have the cross-border highway systems in both Eastern and Western Africa linking many countries. So this kind of, you know, what we take for granted, kind of infrastructure for transportation, used to be unimaginable in African countries. So with this kind of infrastructures, more and more countries can finally build up the logistic system, can finally reshape the local supply chain. And also we're talking about energy you know, infrastructures, like the power stations, like renewable energies are now happening in many, many countries. Just to go to, uh, uh, go to Ethiopia, you will see many power plants, especially the green energy, 
is in there. So the country stopped being bothered by, you know, the blackout of the powers. Finally, the system, uh, the systems of the uh, modern industry can be in there. And in Nigeria, we have built many of the industrial parks um, with the electricity, with the running waters, with the internet, and with the most advanced digital infrastructures. So in Nigeria, we see the fast rising middle income class and also many, many you know, um, the modern industries and companies that have been mushrooming. So this is what we have done, uh, we have been doing. And also if you go to Tunisia, you see talent exchange and talent nurturing is also a new content followed by the promise of President Xi Jinping. And many good things are happening and we're gonna see more in the coming next four or five years. So then, Chi Chang, does the China-Africa relationship have the potential then to foster a more supportive environment for businesses around the world to better engage with Africa? And the train of thought there is, look, China can work with a country in Africa to partner to build a bridge, a road, but I mean, that road is obviously not being used just by Chinese companies or local companies there. It can be used by businesses and entities from all around the world. Yes, exactly. I'm very glad you mentioned about this. Um, Chinese infrastructure is not only benefiting you know, a local hosting countries or uh, limited to Chinese companies. It's actually the first round of the downput benefiting everyone. For example, like I mentioned, the Eastern Africa highway systems linking, for example, Tanzania and Kenya. You know, local people used to have a joke when we're talking to them. They say, you see, uh, we're famous for the, the migration of the wildlife in the Maasai Mala and the Serengeti in a grassland, why is that? It's because only the wildlife can migrate through such a border because infrastructures, connectivities are poor, was poor. But now with all this uh, connectivities of the highway, with uh, air, uh, with uh, airliners, and also with the railway systems, finally, right, we think, uh, you know, most of the countries and the surrounding adjacent countries, the companies, uh, small, uh, medium-sized economies, they can, you know, do businesses uh, across the border. And also many international investors, you know, they finally come come here. They used to fear about this because they're not sure about the, the, how much money they have to downput for the electricity, for the highway systems. But now they can very, very confidently come here to do their own businesses. And also stability is another thing we need to mention. It's always ignored public uh, product. For example, in Rwanda, a war-stricken, you know, very chaotic place. Many, many people died in the genocide uh, domestically. But only after 20 years, Rwanda becomes Africans, Singapore or Hong Kong. They have the most advanced society, very good infrastructures, and more important than that, they have a long-lasting peace and a very stable politics. So many international investors are right now stationed in Rwanda because of belief this environment can really empower not only the local economy, but also uh, the international operation of the businesses all over African continent. So this is, I think, the cooperation's result between China and Africa, and benefiting and spillover to the rest of the world. All right, Xu Chang, a pleasure as always. Xu Chang, research fellow at Beijing Foreign Studies University. Thank you. And with that, we're going to wrap up this edition of Global Business here on CGTN. I'm Michael Wong here in Beijing. Thanks for joining us.